Transfiguration. Uh, that's our title this morning. I know, not very creative of me today, but um, as our title says, this Sunday is uh, Transfiguration Sunday. Uh, it gets its name from the event that happens in our text today. That's where it comes from. Our text comes halfway through the book of Mark, and it happens at a transition point in the book. Uh, Transfiguration Sunday is the last Sunday in the season of Epiphany where we get to see Jesus revealed to the world. That's kind of the idea of the season of Epiphany. We're seeing that happen. He's being revealed. As we consider the Transfiguration, uh, we get to see Jesus in a special way in this text. Next Sunday, we begin the season of Lent, which leads us up to and prepares us for Holy Week and the culmination of Jesus' ministry on earth. As we get to our text today, it's good to get a little bit of the setting uh, of around our text, especially where we are in Mark's description of Jesus' life. Jesus has uh, begun in the, in the previous chapters. We, be, we see him mixing around with people um, more than just his life up to that point. He's begun being in public, uh, uh, people are getting to know him. He's been doing miracles. He's been teaching. He's been healing. Uh, we've heard about some of this in the last few weeks as in our sermon uh, texts. Um, he's chosen 12 men in particular to spend more time with him. Um, and that then he is going to teach them um, some special things that he's not teaching everyone uh, that is following him. But he's got some special things to teach them so that at the end of his ministry, they can continue on and teach as well. Um, these miracles that Jesus has been doing, the teaching that he's been doing, the casting out of demons, all of these things have been revealing little by little who Jesus is. But Jesus has been careful to keep quiet uh, some of the things that could be said about him because he wants to make sure that people understand correctly about him, about himself. Just before our text here, in the previous chapter, Jesus asks these 12 closest followers what people are thinking and saying about him, about who he is. They give several answers, and Jesus asks them, well, what do they think about him, about who he is? Now, the answer that Peter gives as a spokesperson for the group is that he is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah. And again, Jesus told them not to tell anybody about him in that way, um, as we saw also last week, he was, he was telling people that. And this was primarily so that people did not misunderstand what his purpose was. Even Peter and the others that were close to Jesus did not quite yet understand exactly what it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah. In our, t in our text today, we find three of them getting a little further glimpse, a little bit of a, a sight, something they actually see, into the confirmation of who Jesus is. As we will find, as we, you know, if we read further in uh, the book of Mark, as we, f as we would find, these followers of Jesus need time to process this, to understand this, to know exactly what it means. It will take them some time to fully understand what they see in our text today. As we prepare to listen to the text, I want to consider that we also can sometimes misunderstand who Jesus is. 
misunderstand what knowing him means. Some of this is caused by the fact that there's just, there's just too much for us, right? We can't possibly take in everything and comprehend everything that there is to know about him. Some of it comes from the fact that we have our natural tendency to simply think about ourselves and what can benefit us. And we need something to draw our attention uh, a little bit away from ourselves to who Jesus is and to who God is in a, in a bigger way uh, outside of just ourselves and, and how we see him interacting with us. So that's what we're going to be looking for in our text today. Mark 9, 2 through 9 is our text. I'll invite you to stand as I read that this morning. Mark 9, verses through, 2 through 9, reading in Jesus' name. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word to us. Thank you for this experience that Peter and James and John had and how they were able to uh, report it to us so that we can Though not experiencing it ourselves, we can uh, read and hear the report and, and learn what that says about you and about your son, Jesus. I ask that you would guide us this morning as we consider that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, I want to invite any kids that want to come up to the front here to come up. <laughs> All right. Hey, um, what happened to Jesus in uh, what we just read just now? Did you guys hear what happened to him? Super, super white, right? Bright. Um, I, don't, I think we could have a hard time really imagining what had happened to him. What happened to him there? Who else was with him? Well, first of all, who went up the mountain with him? Did you guys hear? Who was it? Well, he had a small group with him. Who was it? They were, just, they were alone, but there were just three others, right? Three disciples. Three disciples. You guys remember their names? Wasn't it like it's three close to like John, Peter, James. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, he had some other times where he just took the three of them with him, right? Um, and they saw, there was somebody else with him then that appeared there. Who was it? There was Jesus, and who was with him? One of them has the same name as one of your brothers. (laughs) And we have another one of them over here, right? Moses and Elijah. You guys are right here. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus. Moses and Elijah from the Old Testament, right? Not you guys. 
But they appeared there and they were talking with Jesus. Do you guys think that was an amazing thing to see? Would you have been surprised if you got to see that? What do you think that told them about Jesus? Do you guys, did you guys hear what the voice said? What did it say? This is my son. And what else? You remember said at the end? Did you hear it? What do you do with your ear? Hear and listen, right? Listen to him. Well, that's what we're going to be thinking about today. What does it mean to know Jesus like this, even though we can't see him in this way, and to listen to him? So I've got a little picture for you here. I'm guessing these are Jesus and Moses and Elijah. It must be them. And these are Peter, James, and John. So you guys can have have that. You can pass some out. Uh, Maybe let Moses pass some of them out here. All right, thanks for coming up, guys. You can go back to your to your seats there. <laughs> oh, thanks. Okay. All right, thanks for coming up. All right. Actually, some of you were sitting there already anyway, so great. They finally decided to just be prepared and just be sitting there already so they don't have to come up, right? <laughs> All right. Well, as I said, our text today stands at a transition point in the story of Jesus' life as Mark is telling us about it. It's a transition here. Opposition from religious leaders will soon increase. And Jesus' teaching of his, his closest followers, Peter, James, John, the other ones as well, um, his disciples, it, it begins to be focused on helping them understand what's happening and what's going to be happening to him. And that begins, in a way, by what happens on this mountain. Mark gives us a time reference for this, related to when that, that point where Peter boldly stated who Jesus is, the Messiah. And then Jesus boldly stated back to him that being who he is, he must suffer and die and rise again. Now, there's more to that conversation, and actually, in two weeks, we're going to be considering that conversation Um, But he tells the people that following him, Jesus tells them that following him would be difficult. But some who were there, even those who were there, would see the beginnings of God's kingdom coming in power. And so then Mark then gives us this time reference here. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. So Jesus took three of these 12 closest followers and went up a high mountain. There were a few other uh, occasions where Jesus chose these particular three to come with him uh, to be able to witness something special. Mark often adds a lot of details in what he's writing, but here he's actually relatively brief uh, in some of the description of what happens. These four individuals, Jesus and the three others, um, go up a high mountain where there's, there's no one else with them. They're alone. And then, he just says, there he was transfigured before them. It's important to note that what he's relating to us here is not just a vision, uh, like a hallucination or something, some appearance from God or something like that, but it's an actual occurrence, something that actually happened changing Jesus' form for a brief period of time. Jesus' form was changed as he was on this mountain, and the three that were with him were able to see it. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. So this is 
the beginning of this transfiguration, this change of form that they could see here, there was a dazzling white nature to what Peter and James and John could see. Uh, Later, writing to Christians years after this, both Peter and John would write about how they had seen the glory of God's Son. I don't think there's any way for us really to imagine what they saw, what it is that they saw there in particular, and how they saw Jesus on top of that mountain, although I suppose we could maybe, you know, now with uh, technology, people can make things appear, uh, you know, if we see a movie or on TV, you know, you can make some things kind of maybe look like this, so maybe we can imagine in that way, but I think it's really, we're not going to come close to imagining exactly how they saw Jesus um, on that mountain. As Jesus was living his life on earth, it would, it would have been easy for them, his followers, to think of him simply as a man. Up to this point, it would have been easy for them to think of him that way. But we know from what Mark and the other gospel writers tell us that Jesus was clearly more than just a man. In fact, not just them, but it's entirely through the whole Bible. That's what we find out. As he lived on earth, he was certainly a man, but also the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. And here, the glory of God, of who Jesus is, of Jesus' divinity, was able to shine through and be revealed so that these three followers of his could see with certainty what had been demonstrated through his actions, but only, um, not clearly revealed, but demonstrated through the miracles, the teaching and such. But now they could see visually God's glory coming through. The miracles, the teaching, the power over demons were all indications of who Jesus is. But here these three got to see amazingly clearly who he is. I would expect that those of us here will never have an opportunity to see anything like this in our lifetime until Jesus' return. As we read about what they saw, it's important for us to understand that as we read God's word, we look for the testimony of those who knew Jesus and tell us about him so that we also can know with certainty who he is. We also want to know with certainty what that means for us so that we can see clearly as they were seeing clearly who he is. Part of that comes from just the brief little things that Mark says here about what else happened on that mountain. That gives us a little bit of a clue as to what Jesus means for us. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Now, I suppose we could start to wonder about how they could have known that it was Moses and Elijah. Uh, You know, did Jesus have to introduce them? Well, we don't really get the indication that that's what happened. Somehow they knew. We're never going to have an answer to that question in this life. But they knew. This was Elijah and Moses. These are two men who had a special relationship with God and with his people. Uh, We heard about Moses from our Old Testament reading today. Uh, how he got to converse with God in a closer way than anybody else really has ever been able to. He was the one that God used to initiate his communication with the nation of Israel, with his people. He got to bring God's word to the people. His face was not transfigured like Jesus 
had happened in our text today, but it glowed from the glory of God talking to him. Moses represents the nation of Israel, the law given to them, guiding them in their role of serving God. Moses is also recorded as having been buried by God so that no one knew where his grave was. That was special. Not quite as spectacular as Elijah, though, the end of his life, close to it, but not quite. We hear about Elijah having been taken straight to heaven in a fiery chariot, not even dying. Elijah, if we know the stories, we know as the one who had a confrontation with priests of a false god named Baal. Quite an quite a event that happened. These priests called on their false gods uh, to light a sacrifice on fire. And of course, he couldn't. But God did. The living God did. Elijah is also the only one besides Moses that we have recorded talking to God on Mount Sinai. Elijah has the role of the prophets calling people back to God who have a tendency to leave, calling them back, always calling the people back to trust in God again, to come to him. We also, without God's working uh, through his word in our lives, have a tendency to turn away. That's just our natural human tendency is to turn away from, from God. And so we need also his word to bring us back. Mark doesn't tell us, as Luke does, that what they were talking about was what was coming up in Jesus' life. We can see that purpose, though, even as we read through Mark's gospel, that now he's getting to what's going to happen. So very briefly, Jesus is transfigured. It's not very long that he's this way. Bright as bright can be, and Moses and Elijah are talking with, to him, talking with him. So what of, is the response of these, you know, these three poor men? I mean, it's a blessing too, but, you know, poor in the sense that here they are, you know, we feel sorry for them being so scared in a sense, uh, excited for what they get to experience, but, but they're scared. Peter, James, and John, who are with Jesus, witnessing this amazing and certainly frightening sight. Um, you know, Peter, never one to miss an opportunity to speak for the group, uh, says something. Feels like he's got to do that, right? He's one of those people, maybe, maybe you know somebody like that, or maybe you're like that, where, you know, just, uh, you know, something's happening. You just got to say something. Peter seems to be that way, right? He's got to say something. He said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. You know, I'm, I'm imagining this scenario here, and, uh, and uh, you know, imagining Peter be being, you know, he's, he's seeing this. He's got to say something, right? He's like, wow, uh, 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 rabbi, um, it's good for us to be here. And then maybe, you know, he's looking over at John. Got something. And, you know, maybe John's over here like, uh, no, no, James, you got anything? You know, uh, what are we, we going to say here? And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, they're not ready to say anything. So Peter's like, okay, I'll just, uh, I'll just keep on going here. So he continues, let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. You know, these, these guys, uh, you know, they're here, uh, you're here, uh, great, amazing people, um, uh, we want to honor you. Maybe there's a sense, you know, uh, as, as Peter's thinking here, maybe he's thinking of, of other times where tents have been used, um, like the tent of meeting where Moses uh, was, uh, spoke to God there as, as God's presence filled that. Maybe the festival uh, tents that recognized traveling through the wilderness. Maybe some of that is coming into Peter's mind. 
probably those three shelters here were to honor them. Um, I don't think based on the appearance that they had that there was any sense that they needed shelter from the elements. It wasn't really that, but it was more a sense of, of honoring them. Um, Mark helps us out here understanding that this was simply Peter trying to give some answer to what was going on out of his confusion and his fear. He tells us he did not know what to say. They were so frightened. And, you know, we kind of understand that uh, Mark, generally we believe that Mark is recording for us things that Peter was telling him. So this is kind of Peter's commentary on his own, his own speech. Yeah, I'm sure he told Mark, yeah, I had no idea what to say. I was scared. I had no idea. Um, do we blame them, not knowing what to say? What do you say at a site like that? I think for us, we might consider that question. What would we say at a site like that? I think we might also ask the question, do we ever, do we ever get a site like that? Not, of course, visually seeing Jesus transfigured, or, you know, really even seeing Jesus at all, physically. Um, we don't get that experience. But what is it that Peter and James and John are seeing? They have been seeing Jesus the man, and as Peter declared, the Messiah, and all of what that would mean as they understood it. Uh, uh, they have seen that. What are they seeing now? They're getting a real view of who Jesus is. Where does our real view of who Jesus is come from? Well, we find it in here, in God's Word. If we've read it a lot, maybe it has become familiar to us, and the details sometimes don't always stand out. If we've read it, if we haven't read it very much, maybe some of what we read is confusing, and we don't understand all of the details. And, uh, you know, maybe sometimes, even if we have read it a lot, uh, the details might still be a little bit confusing. They might be. What happens then in a moment of reflection, maybe as God reveals something to us or as we hear someone else share with us and we understand a little bit more about what God's Word says to us, what is our response when we see maybe not the dazzling white, but, but kind of like that as we get to see a little bit more of who Jesus is and what he does for us. Sometimes our experience is kind of like that. It's not visually the, the blinding white of transfiguration, but kind of in our minds, we can see it that way. Do you ever have that experience where maybe it's, maybe it's a reminder of something that you already knew? Maybe it's a new discovery and you find it amazing to contemplate the dazzling brightness of who Jesus is. It's easy for us, in our, especially in our rebellious, broken world, our broken bodies, our broken nature, our human natures that are broken, that are disconnected from God, it's easy to not quite understand God well. But the good news is, for us, that God takes the time to tell us who he is. Peter and the others are afraid, and with good reason. I mean, this is quite the spectacular event. They don't know what to say. Peter is just babbling uh, suggestions here. He's got something. Come on, we've we got to do something. Then the scene develops further so that they can further understand. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. 
Let's think about this cloud that appeared first here. We get the sense that this happened fairly quickly. Uh, The cloud appeared and covered them. It didn't take a long time to build. It was just there. And uh, this is not something uh, to simply add to the scene, but it makes us think back to when Moses was talking with God and a cloud demonstrated God's presence where Moses was speaking with him. On several other occasions, a cloud... um, Uh, demonstrated God's presence, like with the tabernacle or with the temple. It illustrated God's holy presence, interacting with people, filling the the tabernacle with his presence, and later on, filling the temple with his presence. Here, they are surrounded in a special way by God's presence, and then a voice speaks um, from the cloud. We We heard a voice speak from heaven, Uh, Back at the beginning of the season of Epiphany, as we heard about Jesus' baptism, we're actually going to hear that text partly again next week. Um, At the beginning of Epiphany, we heard about John's uh, preaching, and we finished with Jesus' baptism. Next week's text begins with his baptism and moves into his temptation and the beginning of his ministry. So we actually get to hear that portion of it again. Um, We heard a voice at Jesus' baptism, that declared to him, it was speaking to Jesus, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now we hear a voice speaking to Peter and James and John, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. These three were so frightened, they didn't know what to say or do. Isn't it wonderful that God can be very terrifying and powerful, and at the same time, also gentle and patient. I don't think we could say that Peter was really scolded for what he had said, but he was instructed. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Peter saw what was going on. He thought it was good. Let's stay here Um, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, Now, you know, I don't know. I'm so confused. I'm so scared. He knew it was good to be there. But the point of this was just not for them to stay in that place, but it was for them to witness it and for their attention to be focused on what Jesus would teach them. And from here on out, he would teach them what his real mission was, how his mission was to suffer and die and rise again. The disciples were all still very slow to learn it. But do you think that maybe at least Peter, James, and John maybe had a little bit more focused attention after this episode? As, we, as, as Jesus was teaching them, do you think that they remembered, wow, what a sight that was. What is Jesus telling me right now? It wasn't long after that that he went to Jerusalem to die. And I'm sure they were pondering, how does this all tie together? What we saw on the mountain, what's happening to Jesus now, uh, how does it all tie together? As, um, as we heard in our epistle reading this morning, uh, those things are not hidden anymore. They've been made clear. And isn't it wonderful that we can understand clearly now what has been revealed? They heard the voice, and then suddenly, when they looked around, they, saw no, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus. The experience was over. That's all it was there for, was that, whatever amount of time that was, a few moments of, we don't know how long it lasted, but, but it was done. It was over. 
As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So again, Jesus doesn't want this vision to get out so that it's not misunderstood. He wants to get to the completion of what he's doing so that all of this can be understood. As we close out the season of Epiphany and as we move into the season of Lent, we also want to be alert and aware to see who Jesus is and what he wants to teach us. It's easy for us to misunderstand and not see clearly what it means for Jesus to be our Savior, for Jesus to be God. Sometimes in our experiences in life, we can lose focus of the bigger picture and see just the little details of life and sometimes think that really the little details are the big important ones and we can lose sight of what's really true and important. Peter and James and John, and especially Peter and John, as they wrote about this later, or alluded to it later, they testify that they have seen Jesus' glory on that mountain, the glory of God's Son. And then, they and the others, as they write about Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, explain to us and reveal to us what that means. As we hear this account of Jesus' transfiguration, may we also be given the eyes and the ears to see and to hear clearly who Jesus is for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this account that is recorded for us uh, as it happened to Peter and James and John and, and now it's been passed on for us to... to uh, to think about, to consider, to ponder the event that they experienced there. Thank you for what that revealed about you, about your son Jesus, and uh, what that, how that guides us in understanding what Jesus did for us. I ask that you would, um, would help and guide us, and especially as we come into the season of Lent, as we think about Jesus' sufferings, and uh, that we would uh, have in mind that all of that was the purpose from the beginning, and it was known and planned, and uh, even on this mountain, that uh, as Peter and James and John saw this, that they uh, were to learn about what that meant. I ask that you would guide us as well to understand and to truly believe what you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.